0: This is a spoiler warning, you insignificant worms. So take heed, for I am Ba'al zaman Heart of the Dark. The lowly mortal who creates this content has read the series cover to cover, book to book, many, many times. He will be discussing everything he can think of, irrelevant, relevant, regardless. So... Take heed of my warning. If you have not read the series all the way through and spoil something for yourself, well, who is to blame, listener? Not I. Not I. Good morning, everybody, and I think it's time to kickstart your daily dose for the Wheel of Time with Gleam and Radio. You know, that joke would have made so much more sense if you understood I actually was holding a Kickstarter in my hand, uh, a Mountain Dew Kickstarter, but since it doesn't, I, I, I'm literally wasting time. <laughs> oh, this is not going well. Uh, I'm sitting here trying to record... Chapter 9 at 9 a.m. Would usually... Uh, this should have been out at 5 a.m. Uh, you know, I usually record a little bit ahead of time. But I kind of, you know, screwed up. You know, life sometimes gets in the way. And if life doesn't get in the way, my laziness is, is going to. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of screwed up. Uh, I do hope you're as excited as I am for the Return to the Wheel of Time podcast. Episode 10. As we discussed the Eye of the World's Chapter 9, Telling of the Wheel, which, yeah, one of my favorite chapters so far, without a doubt. Uh, so much awesome stuff was happening. Uh, but before I get too much into that, I want to do a brief... Shout out to two new subscribers we've got, Todd Schumacher and Matt Siders. Uh, If I mispronounced your name, I do humbly apologize. And if I did, just feel free to scream at me in the comments, and I'll humbly apologize the next episode after that as well. Uh, Last time on The Eye of the World, uh, it was basically a bottle episode? Uh, If you're thinking of that in TV terms, everybody was stuck in one room. Uh, Moraine healed, uh, Tam. Uh, Ran said he would do absolutely anything in repayment as long as it doesn't hurt my- village, or my family, or my friends, I'll do anything, anything you want. Which makes me think if it had been like any other Aes Sedai, but Moraine, Rand might have been bonded right then and there. I don't know. Um, I just would have been an interesting turn, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, so then uh, Lan has some awesome lines. You learn that the Dark Rider was a Merdral, and Rand's like, nah, Merdral are 20 feet tall and breathe fire! And then he kind of like quells down under uh, Lan's like, Grin is <laughs> like, sometimes stories are just stories, boy. Uh, <laughs> poor Rand. I mean, they ha- he has so much knowledge that surprises me, and yet at the same time shows so much ignorance. It's funny. It's it's a w- weirdly confusing combination. I don't know. Uh, and after all that, Moraine kind of screws up either because she's exhausted or because Ran's Taviran. And she kind of blurts out that they'll all be leaving at the same time, and Rand, for some reason thinks she's referring to the whole village? I don't, I don't know why, it's weird, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> good for you, Rand. Uh, Moraine explains, no, no, it's just you, Matt, and Perrin that gotta leave, because the Dark One wants you, and you just better believe it. So, we're leaving tonight. Uh, hopefully your dad wakes up to see you off, but if he doesn't, well, whatever, we'll make do. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I'm going on too long with the uh, what happened last time too. Today seems like a rambling day or a procrastination day. I haven't quite decided. Uh, I'm recording now, but I also have errands to do here in a couple hours. So hopefully I'm able to get through this. Uh, sometimes it takes me ridiculously long to get through one of these, but you know, regardless whether I'm frustrated at my lack of getting things done or rushing to get things done, I'll admit even with all that, I'm having a lot of fun making this podcast. So I hope you enjoy it, because I surely do. And I I, I think it's time to get to the chapter, because otherwise I'll just ramble on for the whole video. <laughs> yeah, so let's just get into the chapter. Chapter 9, Tellings of the Wheel, one of my absolute favorite thus far. She snapped her arms down straight out before her. The staff paralleled to the ground, but the pale fire still jetted out, brighter than the torches. Men shied away, held up hands to shield their eyes from the pain of that brilliance. Is this what Eamon's blood has come to? The Aes Sedai's voice was not loud, but it overwhelmed every other sound. Little people squabbling for the right to hide like rabbits? You have forgotten who you were. Forgotten what you were. But I had hoped some small part was left. Some memory in blood and bone. Some shred to steal you for the long night coming. All right, folks, it's been decided. It's a rambling day. I know that for sure because this is like take seven of this portion of discussing the chapter, right? Like, this is the very beginning of discussing the chapter, but I've had to cut it I don't know how many times. It's a rambling day. I know it for sure. I know it for sure. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I can swear I can make it through this dream, this dream sequence. I swear it. I, I know it. I, I know I can do it. <laughs> oh, thank you, phone. Thank you, phone. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not shutting down this time. I'm just gonna turn off my phone and like throw it to the other end of the room. <laughs> Oh, that's the restart button. Now I'm just taking up more time. This is ridiculous. Okay, so this chapter can be broken into three different portions really easily. First, we've got the first of many, many, many dream sequences. Uh, I think this is one of the weirdest of them all to be completely honest. Uh, And then we get into this really, really touching moment between Rand and his father that I like a whole hell of a lot. And finally, we end on this beautifully told rendition of the tragedy of Manethrin. And it's told so beautifully by Moraine that I can't even, guys. Like, my notes end right when Moraine starts discussing... Like, you forgot who you were. Like, my last note is Bran being like, what are you talking about? What do we mean we forgot who we were? Because even though I've read The Eye of the World more than I have any other, any other of the Wheel of Time books, even though I've read this side story, the telling of Manetherin, again and again and again and again, I was so enthralled I stopped taking notes. <laughs> so I, I'm probably going to have to re-listen to it Again, I'm probably going to have to stop talking once I get to the Minethrin scene, listen or read through it again before I talk about it, because I just, oh, it's so good, but I need to stop rambling again and get into the actual chapter discussion. We're just at about eight minutes in and I'm just beginning to talk. I am so sorry, guys. So the chapter begins with Rand in one of the first of, like I said, many, many, many dream sequences. Uh, and we know this is most likely induced by Baalzaman himself. Ishamael is known to be one of the few male dreamwalkers. So pulling Rand or Perrin or Matt into the world of dreams, no problem for him at all. All right, so before we discuss the... The dream sequence itself. There is one thing I've always wanted to know. And that's... How did Baalzaman know Rand was sleeping? I mean, do you think he was peeking in and out of the world of dreams, like, non-stop? Like, is he asleep yet? Oh, no, no, not yet. Oh, is he asleep now? No, 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 not yet. Do you think there was a raven, like, outside the winespring inn going, Master, he's asleep now. You could terrorize him now. I, I, I don't know. Like... Rand goes to sleep somewhere around noon, right, like, at the latest noon, because it's, like, early morning dawn, when he comes into the village, he tries to get Nynaeve, that doesn't work, so he goes to the Yen, then he goes to Moraine, and they come back and heal him, it's, it's like noon at the latest! How does Balzaman know he's even asleep? Like, these are hard-working Two Rivers folk. They don't sleep at noon. If you're lazy, you're looked down upon here. You're considered a conger or a coplin. I mean, even Matt does his share. There's, like, a moment where he's like, Ah, man, this is worse than, like, milking my dad's cows. And his buddies look at him in shock, and he's like, What? I do milk them. Every day, too. Like, Matt himself is not lazy. I just... I don't know. I want to know how Baalzaman knew. It's just a funny little side thing that I've been thinking about. Anyways, the chapter begins with Rand in the dream, and he's running in what I think is the blasted lands. You know, nothing's growing, the landscape is all scary and oppressive, and he's being pursued by Trollocs, which was after last night, has to be really terrifying for Rand. Uh, and he's running, and he's running, and there's nothing to hide behind. There's nothing. It's it's just scary. And then his flight uh, is cut short when he comes to a cliff edge. And looking down into the valley is like this horrible mist. And it's very ominous. And he's just like, I don't know, man. This place is creepy. And then he sees a mountain poking out of the mist rising taller than any mountain he has ever seen and they describe it really oddly uh what do they say uh the the mountain was the as black as the loss of all hope i i don't i don't know to me that's a weird description i don't know maybe i just don't automatically assume black as the color of evil I don't know. I, I I just, I mean, technically, I think red is more of an ominous color than black. So, especially in the Wheel of Time, right? Like, the red Aja is the one we hate the most. And then later, when Moradin shows up, you know, Ishamael reborn, he's wearing black and red. So, y- you know, like, those are the, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going off track again. Uh, black is the loss of all hope. It's just weird, um, and I'm pretty sure this is Rand looking down into the Valley of Thakandar, you know, where all those evil, cursed, tainted swords are made—that you know, the same ones that wounded his father—and that dark, evil, bleak black spire, the source of his desolation. He can sense it. Um, is Shaleghul itself the dark, evil mountain? Um, he hadn't seen the mountain before, but he knew it. Uh, the memory flashed through his mind like Quicksilver and was gone. Uh, isn't Quicksilver Mercury? Does Mercury move quickly? Is this another, like, inconsistency of through time or distance? Or does he not Does he not understand what Quicksilver is and just hears the word and he's like, That must be fast. I don't know. The mountain made him afraid. Um, which, of course, because it's the Dark One's prison. I love how, like... There's obviously at least a little bit of Loose Theron in him right now. Um, kind of half awake because he remembers the mountain, but it makes him afraid. Um. He felt, like, compelled, drawn, unwillingly pulled to the dark mountain by, like, strings uh, attached to his heart and soul and chest. I don't know. It's It's, it's weird. Tears are rolling down his face because... He's not sure how long he can resist the pulling anymore, he's scared, this is awful. Um, his will was draining away as fast as he tried to maintain it, and soon, he would go where he's called, do what he was told, he would obey, like, you know, he's like, oh, this sucks, and abruptly, he discovers a new emotion in all of this, probably born of his 2 riversness: anger, <laughs> stubbornness. He was no pen, uh, no no pen, (laughs) oh god. He was no sheep to be pushed into a pen, Uh, he was a man, he was a two rivers man. Uh, And this anger helped him out, allowing him to resist a bit longer. And this is when he hears a voice, and it's, serve me, serve me, he hears it again and again. And the voice is familiar, like he knows he should be able to place it, but he just can't. Can't And again, we know this is a Shamayel, Baal Zaman. And again, so there must be some, like, Luz Theron in him, right? But he just hasn't gone crazy yet, so it's just kind of feeling like something back in the back of his head that he can't quite place, uh, which I like. Like, I don't think he gets a lot of Luz Theron's knowledge until it actually is given to him through his own madness. Uh, but, you know, we, there's obviously some of him there, so, uh, serve me, serve me, and that's when Rand names the Dark One in anger, because he thinks, you know, Baal Zaman is the Dark One, and naming the Dark One is always a bad move, Rand, you notice that I'm not even going to do it in this podcast, because I'm not stupid like that, and I don't take foolish risks, you know, so he calls out the name. The name you should never speak. And suddenly the smell of death is heavy in the air. And it's just Rand making dumb mistakes. Uh, this isn't even the first time he names him in this... This isn't even the only time he names him in this book, I don't think. I think he names him in the end, you know. The Dark One is dead! No, he's not. No, 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 he's not. Uh, Balzaman shows up for the first time in 3,000 years. The two are facing each other. Um... Because we know this is a (laughs) Shamayal. That's not been revealed yet. But we know. We also know what causes the Caverns of Fire in his eyes and mouth. Uh, It's the Saw. Remember later on you see Moradin having those black dots float across his eyes because he's using the true power too much? Well, eventually those black dots turn into Caverns of Fire. So we know what that's from too uh he, so Balzaman is, like, floating in the sky in front of Ghoul in a cloak the color of dried blood. A figure with a face. I love that description. A figure with a face. A face he didn't want to see. A terrible face he didn't want to even think about because it, it's not revealing the eyes of fire yet. But it's so terrible that it feels like it burns his mind to ash. So, I don't know, maybe Baalsmon's already using the power, or maybe he's using Run Riyad to his use here, kind of making him more ominous and terrifying, maybe harder to resist. Uh, but regardless, Rand does resist. Balzaman reaches for him, and Rand flings himself away, not even caring if he tumbles across uh, over the cliff. He's like, no, 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 I'm getting away. I'm getting away from you, Flame Eyes. This is no, you know. So he falls over the cliff. He tries to scream, but he can't scream because he doesn't have enough breath in his mouth, lungs to scream. He doesn't even have enough breath in his lungs to to breathe. He is terrified and he he thinks he's going to die. Uh, he, he like, Oh my God, this is it. And then bang, Rand finds himself somewhere quite suddenly very different. Uh, and the fear is gone. That's great. You know, he can breathe again. I guess that was just part of the dream, part of the fear. Maybe it was pure fear causing him to, like, hyperventilate. Maybe it was Baalzamon trying to make it harder for him to resist, harder to flee. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, he founds himself in front of Dragonmount. Oddly enough, Shea inspires fear in him, a mountain he recognizes and is afraid of. But he sees Dragon Mount, and he's just like, wow, just a mountain. Tall mountain, weird mountain, middle of nowhere, where's the other mountains? I don't know, this is crazy. <laughs> uh, it, it's just like, mm, just a mountain. I, I, I love how it doesn't, you know, it's weird. Shouldn't this bring some weird feelings to his head? Like, oh, this is the place I died last time. I don't know. Uh, at least he should have had like a feeling of deja vu when he saw it. I don't know. Uh, it just kind of goes to show Luz Theron didn't fear his death because that's what he wanted. So it's probably more of a relief and less of a fear. You know, Shale Ghoul is where the counter happened. It's where he went mad. It's where, you know, he goes home and kills everybody he ever loved. It, Dragon Mount is the opposite of that. It's him trying to atone and knowing he never could, so... No fear. I don't know why I'm still rambling about Dragon Mount. This is weird, guys. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Uh, A river runs along the mountain, leading Rand's eyes to behold a city on an island in the center of the wide expanse of water a city that belonged in a gleeman's tale we, we know it's Tarvalan a city of high white walls soaring towers wondrous sky walkways and beautifully carved bridges yeah it, it it's it's Tavira, tar uh, it's Tarvalin. uh if he got there he would be safe he knows that uh okay uh maybe that's because Moraine told him that i don't know where why he would ever be safe in Tarvalan being who he is other than when he comes back to talk to Egwene after she reclaims the tower. Uh, suddenly he feels pursued again, and he runs for the city as fast as he can, but no matter how far he runs towards the city, the city just keeps getting further away, uh, which I find interesting, probably because he's being told he should go to Tarvalen, but that's not where he needs to go. Maybe that's what it's all about. Or that, like, he's trying to get to Tarvalin as this story goes on, and things keep interrupting and making it harder and harder to get there. There's so much to look at in these dream sequences, they're so subjective when you really think about it. Uh, he felt a hand on his collar, and when, we're thinking this is Baal still chasing him down, which is hilarious to me. I'm just imagining him running full tilt, right? And just Baal kind of floating behind him, reaching out for his collar. And Iran's like, no, no, I know if the cloak man touched me directly, not just my collar, not just like my sleeve. If he touches my skin, I will go insane. Uh, and then he's like, it can't happen. He cannot touch me. It cannot. Then he trips. It's almost comical. No matter what happens, I cannot falter. Oh, God, no. And it's just like, you know, and he's screaming himself. No. Luckily for Rand, he isn't captured by Ba'al-Daman. Uh When he falls over right before he's about to get captured, he magically somehow transports to one of the like bridges leading into Tarvala, and he falls on paving stones. Of course, he's like, "Oh God!" Like, "I, I, like, it's nice that 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 the scary fireman didn't catch me, but um, it would have been nicer to fall on you know grass than." Paving stones ow uh, he gets up, and there 's many people dressed around him in bright colors and he imagines them kind of like as a field of wildflowers and they 're all gest- gesturing him forward into tarvalin now the only people we really hear that are dressed like this right are the tinkers right like they 're all ridiculously bright colors they 're all friendly they 're all smiling um, and they 're all speaking to him. But he cannot understand them, but he thinks he should. Now this is very interesting to me because it makes me think, are they speaking to him in the Old Tongue in his dreams? Because Luz Theron would have known the Old Tongue, right? And right now, the only one who has the strongest connection with the Old Tongue would be Matt. here in at least a few chapters. He'll start, you know, screaming it out way before the dagger, way before the stone doorway. He'll start with the kald, Kaldazar, you know, in the honor of the Red Eagle. Um, but it, it's just, it makes me wonder, are they speaking to him in the in in the Old Tongue? Because when Matt says it, like, Egwene or Perrin or Rand are often like, you know what, I think I know what he's saying. But every time I try to focus on it, it just slips my mind. It's weird. It's like I almost get it. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. Like, eh, it could be. Uh, he crossed the bridge and entered tar Valen. No building there wasn't breathtaking. It's like they gave the builders stone and, and, and brick and mortar and told them to bring it to life. And, of course, all of the buildings in tar Valen, or at least most of these buildings that he's describing, were Ogier built. So, of course, they're breathtaking and stunning and marvelous and amazing, right? And uh, so Rand's walking down the street. And there's wonderful music playing. Like, every good smell in the world is wafting down the street. Um, Every song he's ever heard kind of intermingling in the same tune. Uh, People are singing. Again, for some reason, it's almost like I'm imagining these people as Tinkers. Welcoming him home. And it makes you think, maybe that's because the original Tinkers were the descendants of the Aiel... Rand is a descendant of the Aiel. The the Aiel were often serving Aes Sedai or the dragon. Um, Could this be his people welcoming him home to the source of Aes Sedai power? Because technically, even though he doesn't fit there anymore, he was an Aes Sedai and he was the greatest Aes Sedai. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, it just feels like Tinkers to me, that's what I'm seeing in my head here. Uh, But he's like, you know, he's walking down the street and he sees THE TOWER, T-H-E, capital T, like, uh, it's THE TOWER, you know what I mean? And he's like, whoa, this is so huge, this is so big, it's so amazing, and that's definitely where I want to go, but this town is so crazy, awesome. Uh, town, the city is so amazing that you know it's it's surely it won't matter if I like poke around a little bit, right? So he turns down a side street and the tower's there, and he's like, "Well, that's that that's weird." Um, turns another street, tower's there. Turns another street, tower's here. Now Rance two River blood is like, "This is pissing me off, okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to the tower, all right, but I want to do my own things. Don't push me around." <laughs> He's not into it. You know what I mean? Uh, that's a constant thing in Two ri- in the Two Rivers lore. Is never try to force them into a situation they don't want to be in. Uh, you know. So he's seeing the people still gest- gesturing him forward, but they don't look as happy now. They look sad, as if he'd betrayed their hope, a hope he only he could fulfill again. Like. Is Baalsamon behind this Or is this like Blue Theron in the back of his head With subconscious I'm not A hundred percent sure To be honest I'm not Sure Um Very well The tower is where he was headed anyways Uh Now they cheered And laid flower petals at his feet And he's like Well who 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 are these flower petals for Oh they're for me Oh that's cool That's That's weird But no You know what No what That's not weird I like it Keep doing it He's He's moving on and uh, people are dancing, music is playing, they're getting more and more excited, and Ran just starts dancing. I'm <laughs> like, what? <laughs> He's, he, like, I, I don't know. Dancing is a huge thing in the Wheel of Time, and maybe I don't get it because you'll never catch me dead dancing in public. I I, I don't know. But like, for a world who, with limited entertainment, dancing is a fun activity for him. And he's dancing up the street. (laughs) And his feet felt lighter than they ever had dancing with... Huh, what was her name? That was just so cold, right? Like, he's like, oh, there's all these pretty girls laying down flowers. I'm doing what I need to do. Who was that one girl I used to be kind of into? I don't what. What? Just proof that I think in this very first dream that Egwene is not part of his future. You know what I mean? Like, Egwene is always tied to Rand. Like, she, her job is to kind of support Rand quite a bit. And kind you know, you know what I mean? Lead the Aes Sedai towards the last battle. But they're nowhere near as close as they were in the first couple books. I mean, it gets to a point where they barely see each other anymore towards the last several, right? Like, they, they see each other the last time in book five... And then they see each other again in, like, book 12 or 13. And then they see each other again on the battlefield, right? Like, that's it. That's it. Like, the last six books, there's almost, like, no contact between them. It's weird. Uh, so he's moving forward, and it is your destiny, was said to him by a voice in his ear. Now, was this Luz Theron's voice or Baalzamon's voice? I don't know. He's mounting the stairs. This is where he belonged. Your destiny. He goes inside. We have been waiting for you, the all hissed, and Rand screams and wakes up. <laughs> well, that's a way to wake up, isn't it? Uh again. That's probably what would happen if Rand goes to the one ta- uh the the white tower. Like seriously, Rand never should have gone to the tower until he had his full power, like he does later when he goes to confront Egwene about his decision to break the seals. Like, hey girl, I'm giving you a little bit of time to gather, I'm giving you a little time to prepare, I know you're going to be mad about this, so I'm giving you time to feel like you've covered all your bases, and we'll talk again in the Fields of Marilor. Like, that was the only time he should have showed up, which is, you know, the only time he he does show up. But, like, the point is, is, like, the whole point of this book is... We need to go to the White Tower until the Eye of the World thing comes up. Um, but it would have been such a bad option. First of all, how many and I would have wanted to gentle him? First of all, even knowing who he was. Uh, and if they didn't want to gentle him, how many would have, like, chained him up in the tower? You know, just to wheel him out in the last battle going, there you go, get her done. Like, well, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, or even worse, we know that, like how many of people in the white tower are dark friends like a third a third of the tower maybe like let me know if i'm wrong but i think a solid third of the Aes Sedai are black aja do you really think they would have let him like get away with stuff i mean maybe in the beginning baal wanted him on their side without being forcibly turned but yeah like he would have totally gotten either attacked are forcibly changed by the Black Aja if he had gone to the tower itself. It would have been a very, very, very bad move. (laughs) Oh, this is ridiculous. We're at 30 minutes, and I've discussed one-third of the chapter. I hope you guys are ready for the long haul, guys. Oh, my God. So yeah, Rand's awake now, and he looks out the window, and he sees it's twilight, it's, you know, that's just starting to get dark, the stars are finally starting to poke out through the sky, and he's just like, wow, I can't believe I slept so damn long, that's kind of ridiculous, and I'm just sitting here going, Rand, you just had one of the worst nights of your life, Be go a little easier on yourself, he's already too hard on himself. It's okay to rest, buddy. (laughs) Oh, man. So, also, I can't decide if he's acting rationally at this point about the dream or if he's in denial because he was just told by Moraine that the Dark One is after either him, Matt, or Perrin. And then he has a dream of what he thinks is the Dark One trying to get his hands on him. And he's just like, wow, man, that horrible night, those Trollocs, that lack of sleep and food and rest and all that crap with Moraine and that pain in my side from the sword stabbing into me while I slept awkwardly. Well, those are all reasons for nightmares. I mean, obviously, there's nothing more to it. <laughs> I'm just like, I, I, I don't know if he's being rational or he's in denial. Maybe maybe by dream two or three and he's still kind of going, it's just a dream, just a bad dream, dream I don't want to think about. Maybe that makes more sense about him being in denial than just saying it is on the first one. But I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's just the way he just dismisses it as a dream so easily is a little rough. And at this point, thinking of food rem- makes him remember that Mistress Alvere obviously set food out for him. And he goes over and there's a tray with beef broth and crusty bread and meat and cheese. And Marin's hand was plain because it was all warm and hot. So obviously the tray had been replaced multiple times. And I love it. I, Marin is the best, right? Egwene's mom is one of the best characters in The Two Rivers. No doubt. She's just so cool and nice and sweet. I like her so much. Uh, yeah, so Rand uh, peeks over at his father uh he looks to be resting soundly and he reaches over and like kind of pokes him in the forehead or something like maybe he just wanted to touch his brow i don't know cuz it's it's at the at the slightest touch on his forehead tam's eyes pop open and you're like oh good he's awake <laughs> and he's like oh there you are boy marin wouldn't let me see you and i love i love this this too because again I really like this interaction between Rand his fa- and his father. It's really sweet. He's like, oh, Maren didn't think waking you up just so I could see you was a good enough reason. And I'm sitting here going, oh, come on, just wake him up so Tam can know he's okay. Rand wouldn't have minded. He would have been so happy to see his dad awake. I don't know. Uh, Tam has a weak voice, uh, but his gaze is strong, you know? And, and Rand's just like, yep, okay. He's going to be fine, just like Moraine said. That's good. That's very good. And he's like, Dad, are you hungry? I still got some food here from Mistress Alvire. And just Tan kind of grimaces, and he's like, she fed me already. How's a man supposed to get better or avoid bad dreams when he's forced to drink beef broth and nothing else? (laughs) Oh, bad dreams. Well, at least Rand knows he's not the only one, but we can already guess that these bad dreams were his fever dreams. About, you know, the Aiel War and all that uh, Tam reaches out uh, from under the blanket With a weak arm, but still, you know, steadish, Uh And he touches the sword at Rand's waist And he's like, so it wasn't a dream When Marin told me I was sick, I hoped Well, never mind And that, that, that's, again, that's, that's a more rational form of denial You know what I mean? He's like, well, I got sick Hopefully all the trollic stuff was bullshit. Okay. No oh, no no it wasn't. Okay. Well, live with what happens, you know what I mean? All that matters is that you're all right. That all that's all that matters to Tam is that Rand's well, and that's great. Uh and then his next question is what of the farm, <laughs> which makes sense this is their livelihood. He knows his boy as well. And Rand's just like, well, the Trollocs killed the sheep, apparently for fun. You said they like killing for fun, and yeah, they're all dead. Uh, the cow's gone, so either they took it or it got away. Uh, Bella ran into the village, so she's fine. Uh, and the house needs a good cleaning because the Trollocs smeared the walls with, you know what, I'm not gonna, uh, it just needs cleaning. Uh, but we're lucky. I mean, we got off better than most because, well, half the village is burned down. <laughs> And at this point, Rand sits down to tell his father everything he can about what happens. Uh, Tam, guys, give me a break for all the Lam, Tam, Rand mess-ups, okay? They all have the same syllables, but just different starting letters, okay? (laughs) Uh, So yeah, he tells him everything. Uh, He has to explain why he returned to the farmhouse uh, to get the litter and everything he needed. How he met Narg and killed him by luck. Uh, Why an Aes Sedai healed him and not the wisdom, and this shocks Tam. An Aes Sedai, the two rivers, brings a widening of his eyes. That's the kind of extent of his surprise and shock. Uh, I don't know how much time Tam has spent with uh, Aes Sedai. Maybe none at all, but he was a pretty high officer in a military, uh, and I'm pretty sure Ilion would have an Aes Sedai advisor at the very least. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe in some of those wars there was a couple Aes Sedai out there healing people. Uh, so Tam's got to know a little bit, but we can't really determine how much of what he knows is first-hand knowledge and how much of what he knows is second-hand knowledge from his buddies and war buddies and all the other veterans he knows. So, uh, yeah, he tells his dad more or less everything, but, you know, not everything... He doesn't tell Tam about some of his fears. He doesn't tell Tam that the Dark Rider was a Merdrol. I don't I don't know why he's holding that back, other than he doesn't want to think about it himself. And he especially doesn't want to talk about his nightmares he just experienced. Or or not Tam's fevered ramblings on the quarry road. What what is wrong with you, Rand? Like, you were never ending about the my friend father aspect and you're all like when tam's better we can get this cleared up we can know it's all nonsense but the moment your fan your father is awake and looking at you and asking for everything that happened you can't bring up the most important thing that like concerns you the thing that you've been thinking about even more than the dark one might be after me is tam is my father no let's skip that shall we i just oh my god one of these days, I want to, like, try to get some merchandise going, right? Like, maybe some shirts or something. That would be cool. If this thing ever becomes popular enough. Because, first of all, I think it would be really cool to wear a Gleeman Radio shirt. I want one of those myself and find some cool way to design it. But I think we also need a, he's my father shirt. Because this is becoming an issue. This is, I, I'm, it's it's, it's so frustrating and at the same time, it's kind of funny, because he finally has the chance to get this answer, and he ignores it. I don't—oh, it's so frustrating. Uh, he moves on, because he can't get out of—you know, let's not talk about the thing that I'm most concerned about. Let's talk about the second most important thing, with Moraine saying that the Dark One is after either me, Rat, Matt, or Perrin, right? And his dad's like, What would Trollocs of the Dark One want with you boys? This is, this is interesting. This is, this is also scary. This is not what I wanted to hear. Um, and Rand's just like, Would she lie? Um, he, he explains that he tried to check her story a bit with Bran about the vil- the only two farms getting burned and that Abel's house was attacked in the forge and he, he'd done his best. And, uh, uh, Tam's just like, No. No, I said I don't lie. Now, Rand, explain to me in exact words what she said. As close as you can manage it. And Rand's just like, I don't, like, who remembers everything? That someone says, and in the exact words, I mean, let's be honest, this is part of the reason my notes take so damn long, because I'm listening to the audiobook, and I have to pause and try to take notes, and I have to rewind and try to take notes, because I cannot always remember the exact phrasing of what something said, someone said, and sometimes I want to have the uh, a quote uh, in here. That's what, uh, Ran's right. Like, sometimes it's a little difficult. But Ran tries his best. Uh, and he he tells his father everything Maureen said as close as he could get it. And Tam's like, well, that's good enough. It has to be. You see, lad, Aes Sedai are tricksome. They don't lie. Not right out. But the truth Aes Sedai tells isn't always the truth you think it is. You better take care with her. Uh, Now, while Tam is just going to keep laying here and being awesome, Rand is just going to get a little petulant about it. And he's like, I've heard the stories about Isa died, dad. Okay, I'm not a child. I can take care of myself. And Tam's like, just keeps on being awesome. He's like, no, you're not a child. You're not. Uh, You're right. Uh, But all the same, I want to go with you. The world outside the two rivers is nothing like Emmonsfield, and it would be better if I was at your side. And Rand's like, oh, this is my opening. This is my opening to talk about the quarry road, to talk about the fever dream. Oh, no, 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 I'm too afraid. I'm too afraid. <laughs> so he's like, no, Dad, you really can't get up yet. Uh, Moraine said you had to be in bed for weeks, and Tam's like, weeks? Oh, wait, let's just see about that. And, Tam's, and Rand's next is like... And she told Mistress Alvire about it, <laughs> and Tim Tim kind of deflates a little bit. He's like, "Uh oh, oh shit! <laughs> Not many people can get past Marin, man. Uh, I'm pretty sure besides Nynaeve, she's the head of the women's council, women's circle. Sorry." Uh, <laughs> and he's like, "You know, i You guys have to go. It sucks. I can't go with you." Uh, but you have to go. And Rams is like, just like that? I thought you would try to talk me out of it. I thought you would have a million reasons of why I shouldn't go. And Tam's just like, well, not a million. I had a few in mind. But if Trollocs are after you, Tarvellan is probably the safest place for you. Uh, and, and, and you gotta think, he has to know at least some of it, right? I... I I imagine someone as worldly as Tam has at least heard part of the koreathon cycle, right? Part of the prophecies of the dragon. And he knows he picked up his boy on the slopes of Dragon Mount. I, I, maybe he's just like, well, maybe you have to go to Tar Villain because uh, reasons. But maybe in the back of his head he's like, maybe you're the chosen one. I really hope that's not true. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and he just does that whole, he, you know, he repeats what he said a little earlier be careful boy i said i do things for their own reasons and not always the reasons you might think and Rand's like yeah yeah the gleeman said something along those lines and tam's like good gleeman knows what he's talking about then which means yeah Rand, tam if he doesn't at least have had first person dealings with the Aes Sedai, he has been friends with people who has and knows the gist this that that that's even more proof and he's like, remember, lad, take care. If you tell Land something, use as good as told Moraine something, because he's a warder bonded to her for sure. Uh, and this is where we get a little bit of what Rand understands of warders from the stories, uh, which is a bonding, uh, something to do with the power, a gift from the Aes or perhaps an exchange. You know, he describes that warders healed faster than normal men, had more stamina, they could go longer without food, water, or sleep, and they could sense Trollocs and other Shadow Spawn if they were nearby, which made sense as to why Tam and Lan, Le- uh, again, I'm sorry, why Lan and Lorraine were trying to, vo- uh, warn all the villagers about the oncoming Trollocs as they appeared. Uh,. But Rand was like, he doesn't sure what the Aes Sedai get out of this little arrangement. He said the stories were always vague on that, but Rand was sure they had to get something out of it. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, it, it proves that while Warders are mythical like legends of like almost superhuman, it's not really understood on the Aes Sedai aspect. You know, we know that really what they get out of it is a personal bodyguard, a companion, a fellow soldier in their whatever war they're focusing on. Uh, Lan is the perfect example of, like, the perfect slash best warder because his job is looking after Moraine as they fight their two-person war against the Shadow, you know? Uh... All she gets out of it is someone that has her back unconditionally. But not all Aes I Sedai I see it that way. Some Aes I Sedai I see them as just sword hands to have, you know, do what they're told. Brown Ajas often see them as uh, extra gardeners or uh, people to carry books or stuff like that. Um, I don't know. It's always interesting to see what these Two Rivers folk know about some of this stuff. They're, again surprisingly knowledgeable on some aspects and then laughably ignorant in others. It's always interesting. Uh, and he's like, I'll be careful, dad. I just wish I knew why this was all happening. I wish I knew why the Trollocs were here, why they're after me. And Tam's just like blood and ashes, boy. I wish I knew too, but what are we going to do? When do you leave? I'll be up in a day or two. We can fix the farm. I guess I went a little ahead earlier. Um, Rand says weeks. Uh, told Mistress Salveer. Oh, wow. I really did jump ahead in some of this. It just goes to pro- show I was talking to my computer and my microphone and not staring at my notes. Uh, I was remembering things pretty good. Uh, yeah, so he's like, we're leaving tomorrow. Uh, we're leaving tonight. We're leaving tonight. It's It sucks, but we're going. And Tam... Another good line, well, if it must be done, best not to delay. Maybe I'll follow in a few days. We'll see if Marin can keep me in bed when I want to get up. Which, again, I love Tam. I love Tam so much. He's so cool. Uh, and, and just as they're, you know, just still talking, they're interrupted by Lan kind of pushing his head into the door. And he's like, say your goodbye, sheep There's trouble and we've got to move. And Rand's just like, what, what what, kind of trouble? What's going on? And he's like, hurry. <laughs> Don't you understand? We got to move. And Rand's just like, all right. Oh, God, keep your hair on. And he, he goes to reach for his cloak. And he's about to unbuck, unbuckle the sword belt and leave it there with his father. And Tam's just like, no. That's your sword now. I'm going to have you take it with you. You know, keep it in memory of me. Remember and come back, you know? He hugs his father, and he's like, I will come home, Dad. I promise. Well, that's, that, that, that's a promise Rand's never going to keep, isn't it? <laughs> Tam's like, I know you will, boy. And when you do, I'll have a shit ton of work for you. The flock will be back. You know, you're just going to have so much work, you're not going to know what to do with yourself. And uh, uh, that kind of comforts Rand. He's like, yeah, I will. I'll come back and work extra hard, Dad. Uh, And and Tam's just like, now go before that fellow does himself an injury because uh, Lan is in such a hurry to get them going. (laughs) Oh, just seeing Tam say hurry before Lan gives himself an injury from impatience is so much fun. Because when you think about it, these are two probably some of the most dangerous swordsmen in the world of the Wheel of Time. And they're in the same room. Is Does anyone else wish there had been at least one sparring session between Lan and Tam? Because I know at a certain point, uh, Rand duels with his father again, right? It's the whole getting over the loss of your left hand thing and rand is doing pretty well with his bad hand and tam is using his left hand too to give rand the handicap and he is crushing rand and i believe i've heard it stated somewhere that the only person considered more skilled with a sword than rand was tam i mean was uh lan like rand was one of the best swordsmen in Randland, in the Westland. So, yeah, if Tam could crush Rand, I just it wouldn't it so be so cool to see that duel, right? Not to the death, right? Maybe practice swords. Oh, but it would be so cool to watch. I'm getting off topic again, but uh, it just it's something we'll never get and it's something I'll always want. It'll be headcanon and fan fiction in my head forever. I don't know. Maybe one day I'll write a silly Uh, Fan fiction for it and put it on the channel Who knows I've thought about you know eventually uh, Writing some what ifs or fan fictions Because that would be fun Uh, Yeah Rand hesitates Still kind of wanting to talk to his father Maybe you know Understand if he is my father uh, but, you know, he's taking too long, and Lan just walks right in and drags him into the hallway. He's like, we have to hurry, Sheep Herder. Don't you understand the word trouble? Are you stupid? Get going, dude. <laughs> uh, Matt is waiting in the hallway. Uh, he's got a bow and quiver on. He's looking anxious and afraid. But he's trying this weak smile and he's like, hey, buddy, hey, Rand, this is not what it feels like in the stories, right? Like, this sucks. (laughs) Uh, Land runs down the stairs towards the trouble. Uh, Rand and uh, Matt follow. And there seems to be a commotion going on outside. And Rand peeks out the front door with the other two men. And at first, Rand does not know what he's seeing. You know what I mean? He, violence in threatening any sort of confrontation or ill will is just rare in the Two Rivers. And what we see is about three dozen or so Two Rivers, uh, Two Rivers folk, right? With torches. And in the front are Hari Coplin, his brother Daryl Coplin, Billy Conger, and Sen Bowie. <laughs> And they're all facing Moraine, who's standing in the very front of the inn, uh, leaning casually against her staff as she faces a legitimate, no-joke, angry mob of villagers with torches trying to get her out of town. (laughs) Oh, Moraine is such a badass. I love her so much. She has everything in hand. I mean... Have I mentioned I love Moraine? Have I? I just wanted to check. Have I? Okay. (laughs) Oh, sorry about that sudden abrupt, like, shut off of, like, my laughter there. Like, sometimes, like, my recordings just stop for, like, no reason. Just, like, I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking. I look down, and I'm like, whoa, not recording. What is happening? Uh, So I actually got a little bit ahead, and then I look down, and I'm like, well, I've been talking for about... Ten minutes and it hasn't been recording. Yay! <laughs> uh, anyways, so the Har- the Coplins and Congers and Senbui are all facing Moraine, and Rand is shocked. I mean, shocked to see Hari Coplin shake his fist at Moraine, and he's like, oh, "My." God, that is just not something done in the two rivers. Like, how could even Hari Coplin do such a thing? Remember, this is the same village where you saw back in, like, chapter one, when all the good wives, like, crowd around around Rand, trying to get him to talk about Tam getting remarried, and there's no way to escape Outside of rudeness. That's just what these people are. So that shake of a fist was just horribly obscene to Rand. You know what I mean? Just like, oh my God, Hari's gone too far. Wow. Uh, and they're all just like, leave edmund's Field and get out of here. It's rather comical to watch. Uh, Maybe because I know Moraine has got this completely and utterly under control. Like, I have no fear for her at all. It's been such a long time since I have read this for the first time that I can't actually pick out my first thoughts on all of those, you know, scenes. Maybe I was concerned for Moraine the first time around. Maybe I was indifferent to her. I don't know. But here I'm just like, (laughs) you... uh. Oh Moraine's got this. Like why is Land worried? Why? Moraine's got this. I don't I don't know. Um <laughs> uh, now the Coblins and Congers are yelling, but they're not getting a lot of full hearted support from the villagers, you know, that Three dozen villagers or so in the back, you know, they just kind of just they just want the Sedai to leave. They don't want to be mean about it, you know. They're just like, come on, just just please go away. You're you're scaring us. Um, <laughs> and that's when Hari tries to get old Sen to speak up for their support. And I've got to admit, he he wasn't happy about being there. He was uncomfortable to be in this crowd, and. It wouldn't surprise me if Sen Bui was actually here to kind of manage the situation and make sure it didn't get too far and out of control. Think about it, because the first time we hear Sen mentioning Aes Sedai, it's back when we hear that Tom Marilyn's in town, right? And he's like, there's certain stories that Gleeman should and should not tell, and he should not be telling stories about Aes Sedai, because those women are are dangerous, and those women are just not to be talked about. They're not a good subject. But here he is, and he's actually being rational. From his point of view, Sen Bui is not being unreasonable. He's not like Harry Koplan being an asshole about it. He's just like, there were no Trollocs here before you showed up. You come here, and then what, uh, what happens? We're attacked in the night by Spawn. Why were they here if not for you? Why would they have suddenly attacked? You know, and the district is obviously full of stories uh, showing the Aes Sedai in a poor light. So saying they just don't want Aes Sedai problems and Senbui just going, I, I, we would like you to leave. We do not want Aes Sedai issues here. It's reasonable. I can't really find a complaint with him here. It's Hari Copland. Who goes completely out of control, right? He he he's still getting no crowd support. I don't know. Maybe he's drunk, uh, or 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 maybe he's had a little bit of too much Two Rivers Longleaf, if you get what I mean. But you know, I think that would actually make him more chill. So, I I I don't know. He he grabs a torch from uh, I don't remember if it was another Coplin next to him or one of the villagers behind. And he shakes it in Moraine's face. And he's like, get out. Get out or we'll burn you out. And I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Do not challenge Moraine, dude. You are no, no match for her. I just... How rude. How rude. This is... Screw you, Hari Coplin. I don't, like... Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I was trying to be objective about the Coplins in Congress here, right? Because, uh... Wit Conger and his wife, Day's Conger, they're not too horribly bad, right? You notice Wit's not here, you know? Day's Conger becomes the wisdom and does a hell of a lot of good looking after the people when they get injured later. I, I, it's just, you don't want to hate them all, but these people are ridiculous. And none of the other villagers behind this, holy crap, guys. Like, dead silence follows the whole burn you out comment. Followed by shuffling of feet, no one being really able to meet each other's eyes. And it's just, it's just bad. And Rand himself says these people are not used to violence. Not even used to threatening people. Defend themselves in a situation? Absolutely. No problem at all. But just threatening people, instigating trouble and violence, it's rare here. And this is where Brand, uh, Bran Alvir and Master Luhan show up just acting completely awesome. I mean, Brand just comes in suave as all hell, you know? He's just, he meanders in slowly. He's casually holding the giant wooden hammer he uses to pound uh, wooden cast, right? It's his wooden maul. And he's like, "Did I hear someone threatening to burn down my inn?" And the Coplins and Congress are like, "Oh, oh no, Bran! Ah, uh, Mister Mayor, that's not what we said at all. You must have been mishearing. I, absolutely not." And he's like, "Oh, good, good, good. Then perhaps I heard you threatening someone in my inn, one of my guests, perhaps." And it's just, oh shit. <laughs> they're just, no, ma'am, no, Mr. Mayor. We were just, <laughs> and Hari's just like, she's an should Dye brand, you know, real angry-like, you know. We don't want any of her kind, and he is cut off. And it's by Harold Lujan in just one of the greatest flexes ever, right? It's just, it's described as the blacksmith simply stretched, you know, he, he 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 raises his massive thick muscular arms and stretches and he clenches his fists until all of his knuckles crack and then he just very casually crosses his arms in front of his chest with a very dangerous look at Harry Lu- Harold Coplin uh Harry Coplin yeah and he's just like oh sorry about that Harry didn't mean to interrupt you You were saying? (laughs) Oh, that was so badass. And not only that, like, honest to God, tell me you can't see Perrin doing this same exact thing later in the series. Tell me you cannot see this. Right? Uh, He... Perrin obviously took a lot after his master, but we've got to say that because we know literally nothing about his family. We know they we know some of their names in book four, but that's about it seriously that's that 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 that's it we know nothing else <laughs> uh and uh Hari's done, you know he's shrinking back he is scared shitless of Harl Luhan and his massive muscles. And uh, Bran speaks up and he's like, I'm surprised at you people. And he starts naming names, calling out people who had been hurt or their children had been hurt before Moraine had healed them. He's like, good God, how many of you would be here able to stand here and complain and try to get this wonderful wonderful person to leave town if she had not healed you healed you already. Including you, Sen. Your arm would have been useless. I would have been surprised to see any member of the village council here. But you, least of all, your arm would still be just a cake of bruises and useless flesh if she had not put her hands on you. And again, again, Sen is reasonable here. He's like, I understand, Bran. No one can deny that. I'm thankful she healed me, and I'm thankful she healed others. But she's an Aes Sedai Bran. And there's no other reason the Trollocs could have come here other than for her. Why else? Uh, And this is around the time Moraine shows off. This is actually my clip of the day. You know, she, she... lights her uh lights fires on either side of her awesome staff and they're like white spearpoint flames and she spins her staff dramatically before bringing it down parallel to the ground kind of holding it uh like around her stomach area i guess i don't know and she's like is this what Amon's blood has come to little people squabbling for the right to hide like rabbits i know you already heard the quote it's just still awesome yeah She's like, you've forgotten who you are, who you were, but I had hoped some shred was left. I don't need to say the whole thing again. This podcast is going longer than any other has so far. <laughs> and I've al- you've already heard this in my clip of the day. And Bran's just like, what do you mean? What did we forget? And this is where Moraine starts one of the best side stories in the Wheel of Time. Like, really, one of the best and I love Tom. I, I do. Tom Marilyn is great. But we don't get the chance for him to tell really that many stories in full. He gives us bits and pieces of stories he knows, just titles and what their descriptions are. We get like bits and pieces like endings or middles of the stories he's telling is there he's like in and in or something and other characters walk in and out like we get bits and pieces of songs he tells but how often do we get a full complete tale from him and uh (laughs) by the way by the way um if Tom was watching in the crowd, how many of you think this is when he falls in love with Moraine? Just a little bit, right? Like, we know they, they, there's something there before, you know... Tom helps save her, right? Like, do you think this is where he kind of starts going, a fine woman, a fun woman, if not Aes Sedai, you know what I mean? He's sitting here watching a crowd of, uh, uh, an angry mob of villagers with torches ready, and one of them, like, snarling that they'll burn her out of town, yet she halts them all with a beautifully told story. That has even Hari Coplin, who threatened to bird her out moments before, hanging on her very word. You know, Tom Marilyn's gotta be watching this and going, holy hell. God damn, what a magnificent woman. You know what I mean? Like, he's gotta be like, damn. You know, part of the reason he followed Tam and Ran- uh, uh, Tom and. God damn it. <laughs> part of the reason he followed the boys. And Gwaine and, you know, Lannon, you know, Moraine was, yes, yes. He wanted to keep these boys out of ice and eye trouble. But, too, he's like, maybe she'll tell another sexy story. Come on, Moraine, what you got? <laughs> oh, this is the end of my notes. There's nothing else here. I, I-, I listened to the story and I- 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 there's nothing here in my notes at all. <laughs> All right, so I'm not going to really cover every bit of the Tale of Manetherin here. I know that that's usually how I do my podcasts, is I discuss pretty much everything that happened in the chapter with my opinion on it. It's the easiest way to keep on task when you're by yourself doing something like this. Uh, but it was such a good story. The only way I could ever reiterate it to you is if I literally opened the novel and read it to you, word for word. And I and I'm I'm just not gonna do it. It, it was just an amazing tale. You got like her talking about well, the river that you call the White River, but other people know it by its true name, and that is the drill, And the drill used to go. ...towards the mountain home... ...Manetherin... ...and this place was great... ...and the king was so awesome... ...and handsome and heroic... ...that the best compliment you could give... ...is to say you remind me of this person... ...and the queen was so beautiful... ...and wonderful... ...that the flowers... ...bloomed to make her smile... ...you know it was very... ...it's very corny but I eat it up... ...you know what I mean... They talk about how Manethrin was a bramble in the Dark One's hand and a thorn in his side. To be honest, um, I've fallen into blackberry bushes. Still not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, so a bramble and a thorn, just they, they're not the greatest descriptions in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, the sword that cannot be broken, that is cool. That is cool. So we learn that they were great heroes, great warriors, great cr- champions for the light. That they had gone off to a diff- di- uh, far distant battlefield. That their home was under attack from Baal it sounds like. They're like, there's no way he could have been there. But, you know, there was some dark evil power there. We don't know what it is. <laughs> it was Baal He's just not the dark one. Uh, their home's under attack, so the men come home. And in other days, it would have been something to rival stories, just their march home, which I liked. Uh, They get home, they fight, they fight, they fight, they ask for help, they fight and wait. No one's coming. Uh, The people try to flee, and, well, not all of them do good many farmers and everybody go and back up the soldiers, because this is their land. You know, it's just a beautiful story. I I think that's about it. But what really made an impression on me, especially in this reread, is as I'm hearing this tale from Moraine, I, I kind of had a double vision. So I'm imagining everything she's talking about. I'm imagining the men of Manethrin and all they're doing and all they're fighting. But then I see another kind of image over top of that in my head, I guess is the best way I can describe it, and that's the two rivers under attack from the Trollocs with Perrin leading them against the Shadow Spot. So as they're talking about... The men surely should have ran, the, the, the people should have left, but not all of them did. They turned right around, the men and the women standing side by side, fighting until the end. And I'm seeing, you know, Mistress Alvere and Days Conger and Bodwin Cawthon and her sister and her mother and the Luhans. You know, I'm seeing all everybody fighting for Emmons Field in book four. And it just it just was crazy because you're you're listening to this story and going, you're you're it's not gone, Moraine. It's still there. They just aren't ready yet. Give them like another year and Perrin will come back and whip them into shape and it'll be Minethrin all over again. It was it was just so cool. I I I, I, I'm rambling here and I'm not speaking the best way. But it just, there was something about hearing the story of old Manethrin while it just feeling overlaid by the story of Shadow Rising. That, that, that's, I could not imagine anything else. And it just reminded me how awesome Manethrin is, how awesome the two rivers are. And Moraine kicked ass with the story. <laughs> I mean, she's talking about all this and Hari Coplin's like, well, what happened then? Where did they go? Oh, they never left it all weird them. Oh, that's crazy. You know, I I don't know. It was it was fantastic. It just was. Uh, <laughs> and so Moraine settled them all down with her story, and uh, again, I'm not going to try to name every two rivers man because it's a little difficult. But Uh, I believe this is Will Alcine's father that we'll see later in book four. Uh, And he's just like, well, I don't know all about that Two Rivers, uh, Manethrin stuff. But I am ashamed to be here. I I, I was wrong. Uh, My son would be still hurt, bedridden, maybe never be able to walk again without you. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, you can stay here in Emmonsfield as long as you wish. And then he takes off and so does everyone else. The, the the crowd is dispersed. Uh, Billy Conger ran away like as soon as he could, and the goblins are kind of slipping away, kind of angrily. But it, it's all settled, uh, and, and we're back to Rand and them because you kind of completely forgot about them. It's Moraine out there. You forget that Rand and Matt and Lan are watching Moraine tell the story. You, you you completely forget it's not Moraine by herself. I don't I don't know. It's amazing. I really did enjoy it. Um, So it's time to go. Rand is running off after Lan and Matt. Uh, Now that this trouble is gone, uh, it's time to go. And Rand is feeling really nervous about that and really sad. Uh, It's time to go on one of those adventures he's always dreamed about but is now pretty sure he doesn't really want. And he makes uh, one more promise to himself that it doesn't matter how long this journey is going to take or what he goes through, he will return one day. And to be honest, coming into this chapter, I didn't think that was ever going to happen. But now I got to admit, I'm thinking of a black haired tall man uh, showing up in the two rivers shortly after Tarman Gaden, uh, just to check things out. You know, I, I honestly imagine Rand after everything is done to be like a peddler. I really do. I imagine him just traveling all around in a peddler's wagon for a while. Uh, spoilers if you haven't finished the series, but uh, I put a spoiler warning at the beginning of all these. So whose fault is that? Uh, <laughs> that's it. I, I think i gonna stop rambling now. This last part of the chapter was very unfocused because it had no notes. <laughs> I really should have gone right back in, listened to it all over again, and taken those notes, but uh, I've had to pause this recording multiple times. I've had to do many retakes, and I had to take some family member to a doctor's appointment, go grocery shopping, come home. It's even hotter, and I'm trying not to turn my fans on while I record, so i <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> uh, I'll see you guys again, again for our third week of the Return of the Wheel of Time podcast. Uh, it's starting to feel too long. Uh, I like that kind of being under the section, but I, when I put this on podcast hosting sites, I think I'm just going to call it Gleeman Radio. Yeah. Uh, if there's any suggestions you have from me uh, or anything else you want to say at all, uh, leave comments, go to the community section, or email me at gleemanradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a wonderful day wherever you are, morning, afternoon, or evening. Uh, I hope this does get out on time. That's kind of why I'm kind of... This was so unfocused here at the end. I didn't. I was kind of in a time crunch. Our internet is so bad that it's about 1.30 p.m. right now, which I started recording this around 9 a.m., and... Our internet's so bad, I can't guarantee this won't upload by Saturday morning instead of Friday night. How bad is that? Um, <laughs> uh, this is the longest one I ever had. It's probably gonna be about a gig file size. I mean, it, there's there's a chance. Sometimes I spend a good. I, I'll try to upload one of the videos at like 7 p.m. Uh, and. The computer will fall asleep or something. I wonder if that interrupts it. But I'll wake up in the morning and it's like 9 a.m. And I'm like, whoa, there's been it's, it's still at 30 percent. What's happening? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, again, take care, everybody. Uh, I do hope you are enjoying this podcast series and uh, I'll see you again next time. Bye.